Welcome to another episode of Re-Educating Dad, the weekly cross-generational daddy-daughter talk show. My name is Tony Coe, aka Big Tone, but there's a major component to our show missing today. Unfortunately, I'm without my co-host and lovely daughter, Tony Amanda, otherwise known as Lil Tone. Unfortunately, little Tone is sick. Um, she, we, I think she's mentioned it a couple of times uh, in previous episodes that uh, she's going through uh, some health challenges at the moment. Um, I'm not obviously going to talk about that. She may uh, share that with you um, when she feels, uh, if, if she feels that she um, is ready to do that or wants to do that. Uh, it's nothing... Uh, majorly um, serious, but it is chronic, meaning it's of long-standing time, um, and uh, she is suffering a lot of pain. And uh, we were going to record an episode this morning. I'll tell you a little bit about what we, we're going to talk about um, later, because it's something that you, uh, you might want to do a little bit of... Well, there's something that you might want to watch before you hear us discuss it, let's put it that way. So I'll tell you more about that towards the uh, end of my time with you today. Uh, but um, she didn't feel up to it. She's in uh, bed right now um, in pain and, and uh, obviously um, feel very, very sorry for, for her. Um, so uh, hopefully she will be back in our next episode and um, she'll no doubt uh, let you know how she's getting on. Now, last week was episode 22, um, and we discussed COVID and England's new rule of six when f further measures were introduced uh, then by Boris Johnson because of the rising infection rate and his objective, his government's objective was to impose the rule of six, meaning no more than six people could get together. Uh, whether outdoors or indoors, uh, that was a significant change. They wanted to simplify it, uh, simplify the rules, I think, more than anything else, so that those rules could be enforced. Because before, they were such a mess, nobody understood them. Um, and the police were saying, well, how on earth can we enforce this? We don't understand it ourselves. And other people obviously don't understand it. So the rule of six um, makes it a lot simpler. Uh, but things have moved, uh, the dial has moved since then, um, in that in the infection rate is moving up uh, very significantly. The word that is constantly being used is exponentially. Obviously, I'm talking England here, I should stress that. Not even the whole of the UK, but England, because the rules are slightly different in, in uh, Scotland and in Northern Ireland. Um, so uh, things have moved in the wrong direction and as a result uh, there was an, an announcement yesterday that further uh, rules were coming, um, coming into play which I'm going to uh, just go over uh, very briefly but I did, we did mention in, in our last episode that we had um, a, a wedding in the family coming up 
uh, this list this last weekend it was it actually was on the 19th Saturday the 19th of February um, and that was under the uh, lock, not lockdown but the COVID rules it had to be a COVID secure wedding meaning that no more than 30 including everybody um, uh, the, the groom the bride and everybody else no more than 30 could get together for for that uh, wedding and uh, we wondered how that was going to go but actually with the new rules there's been a change there so we only just snuck that wedding in just before further tightening there which would have made the wedding uh, well it probably would have still gone ahead but it would have been a very different event for reasons that I'll go into in a minute but uh, just to let you know my second oldest uh, daughter, Jackie, um, and that would be Lil Tone's uh, older sister. Not her oldest, because she's got um, an older one than that, Tracy. But um, Jackie uh, got married to Mark um, in a little uh, rural village in Dorset, um, in a church there. So it was a form. It was a traditional wedding in the Church of England. The rules were tough and they were strictly applied, which sadly meant um, that I was not able to walk Jackie down the aisle. Uh, this is my second, second daughter getting married a couple of years ago, nearly. Um, Lil Tone actually got married and it was a fantastic uh, joy to me, big privilege and an honor to be able to walk her down the aisle. And uh, to be denied that um, was uh, rough justice. <laughs> but nevertheless, the wedding was a big success on, on Saturday. I did get to the, the church an hour early so that I could talk to um, the reverend um, who was going to, uh, who really uh, had imposed this rule, although I believe that is the rule everywhere. Father, no fathers could walk their daughters down the aisle at the moment because of distancing um, because obviously we don't live in the same household uh, I did get there and I, I said I had this idea that I would like to sort of come into the church uh, first the head of the bride and just introduce her and explain that I went I can't walk uh, my daughter down the aisle um, and she was having well I could tell she was having none of it she <laughs> I'm the one that greets the congregation I mean there was no flexibility there um, but Nevertheless, she did a nice job of, of, of the service. We were restricted to a maximum of 30 people. So it was only friends and, well, actually, I should say only family. It was only family. Uh, there were many people who wanted to be there uh, uh, and could not be there. Many disappointed uh, people. Um, but um, nevertheless, it was, it was, it was brilliant. Uh, it was lovely. Um, and after the uh, church in after the church service, the, the ceremony, I should say, we we all went to a, a local village hall nearby, and uh, we were kind of able to do our own thing because there was nobody there. There was no no supervision of it, but obviously we were all careful. But it's it's very unnatural, you know, in in family situations, not to be able to embrace. I mean. You know, there was there was no way I wasn't going to embrace my daughter and my my new son-in-law. Um, I think one's got to be sensible. I'll say a bit more about 
that uh, in a moment. But um, it's it's just not feasible to have events like that and, and to all stay two meters apart, you know, from your family members. It's it's just not going to happen. I don't believe it happens anywhere uh, at a wedding. <laughs> I don't think so. But I, just to update you that it was, since we mentioned it in the last episode, it was a tremendous uh, family occasion. It was under very strange circumstances. Obviously, we all had to wear masks in, in church. The, the bride and the groom are exempt from that, but even the, even the vicar had to wear, wear a mask. All the bridesmaids have to wear a mask. It's all a bit weird. And we all stayed in a hotel in Blandford Forum in, in Dorset. All the family did stay there. And um, uh, there, every you know, everybody, masks had to be worn. Um, not when you're eating, obviously, but uh, it was it was you know you didn't get uh, the room service because they said they couldn't go in the rooms because of COVID. I think that might be a little bit of an excuse frankly, uh, to reduce service, and I see that happening in a lot of businesses, uh, to be frank. But anyway, um, I probably talked about that longer than I should have done. Um, but uh, the new rules that have, have come into place, the new measures in England, weddings and funerals reduced to 15 maximum. So we would have been able to have half as many people there. So we would have had to make the, the bride and groom, Jackie and Mark, would have had to have made decisions about which members of the family were not going to be able to attend, uh, which would have been sad. Um, so that's the first thing, weddings and funerals reduced to a maximum of 15. Pubs and restaurants must close by 10 p.m. So there's a 10 p.m. curfew and it's table service only, apart from takeaway, obviously. It's table service only. So that's already going to have a big, big impact on the hospitality industry who are already suffering really, really badly. Um, so that's that. And the third thing is, unless your job requires otherwise, you must work from home. So that's a change of emphasis. A few weeks ago, Forrest was saying, get out. if You've got to go to work now if you can. Stay at home if you, if you can work from home. But now that emphasis has changed. It's only if your job requires you to work from home um, that you... Sorry, only if your job requires that you work away from home, uh, then otherwise you must work from home. Uh, the rule of six now applies to indoor sports as well. And the other thing that Boris mentioned yesterday was that the army might be brought in to assist with, you know, to assist the police in enforcing the regulations. So, uh, that his his announcement was preceded by uh, the two sort of chief medical advisors, uh, who have been dubbed the two Ronnies after a couple of um, comics that used to be very popular here in the UK because they are rather sounding a little bit comical. Although it's not a comical subject by any means, but uh, they are just full of doom and gloom. And their prediction was that if we carry on with the infection rate as it is. We will have 50,000 cases a day within a month, and that will be followed a month afterwards. That will translate into 200 deaths a day. But they admitted that that was very much a, um, you know, a 
projection based on a model. Well, the modeling so far has not proved to be reliable at all. And I must confess, I'm becoming very, very concerned about the way this government is uh, handling this situation. I mean, I voted for Boris. Um, I'm a Boris supporter. Uh, you know very well that Lil Tone is not. <laughs> but uh, I am a Boris supporter. Uh, I've voted Conservative all my life. I've discussed that before, um, much to Lil Tone's chagrin. Uh, but, uh, and I've liked the way he's dealt with things, but when it comes to this COVID crisis, this pandemic, you know, I, I don't think they can be criticised for things in the early stages because it's an unknown thing, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, to use that overused word, unprecedented. And they were doing their best on the basis of the uh, of the of what they knew, and that and what they knew changed. But I think that it's time for a serious reassessment of the way we're handling this. There's been a lot of talk about the Swedish models, which Sweden has did not lock down um, in anything like the way that we did, uh, and other countries like France and Spain did. And they have not really seen, uh, they have not really seen very much more in the terms, of, in terms of deaths overall than we have. They're a much smaller country that it's different. I accept that. But really, you know, the, the, the time has come, I think, to put things in perspective. Um, 460 people a day in the UK die from heart disease. 450 people a day die from cancer. Currently, 11 people a day die from COVID. And even if you take the most outlandish estimate, um, which I think these two medical people are doing, uh, the worst case, that's what they called it, the worst case, that gets that may go up to 200 a day in a couple of months' time, still well below heart disease and still well below cancer. And do bear in mind that at the moment we, are not, we don't have the National Health Service, we have the National COVID Service. I mean, you can't get, you pretty much can't get treated for anything else. So what kind of effects is this going to have on the numbers dying you know, as we go further down the road, people who are dying from other uh, maladies. Um, and the other thing to say is that we're moving into the winter. So COVID is a respiratory disease. There are many other respiratory diseases, not least of all flu. Um, and so, you know, people, are, people die from that uh, as well. So my concern is... Um, the, oh no, the other thing the other thing to say is that two uh, percent of the people who have died were under fifty two percent were under fifty and of that of those a very substantial number of people that died sadly had pre-existing problems um, so I do think that you know it's time to reassess um, and be practical and apply some common sense here. Uh, you know, bad things happen in life. 
Um, you know, my parents lived in the time of World War II. In World War II, 454,000 people were killed. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a very, very important cause to fight for. Uh, and we made a calculation, didn't we? I mean, a it was obvious if you go to war, as we had to, uh, that you're going to lose lives. But it was uh, an assessment was made that it was worth um, ma making those sacrifices, terrible as it was, um, in order to um, to gain our our freedom, um, in order to retain our freedom. Well, uh, we have to. I think we have to consider here what we are doing to our economy. Uh, Boris is talking about further measures and perhaps going back into another national lockdown. And if, as this is a disease that really uh, fundamentally affects people over the age of 50, actually it's probably older than that. It's older than my age, sort of 65 plus. Um, it's dangerous for people 65 plus. Uh, on the whole, it isn't dangerous for people uh, below 50 anyway, on the whole. Uh, and the effects of crashing our economy by just everybody staying in their homes and not mixing so businesses are just, just not going to be able to, a lot of businesses are just not going to be able to function. We're, we're kidding ourselves if we think that we can go on like this. And what are, the, what are going to be the effects? What are going to be the effects of, on people of this economic damage that, we, that is being done? Well, I think you can pretty much predict. And, you know, the, the, the furlough scheme, which was very good, um, the Chancellor introduced, has certainly helped. But there have been an enormous number of redundancies already. And when that support is withdrawn, which we're very close to, it's going to be withdrawn in, in phases, but it's going to be, uh, the effects of that are going to be coming on line very soon. Businesses are going to have to make a lot more people redundant, many, many, many more people redundant. Businesses are going to close. How can restaurants and bars and pubs and so on survive um, as they are with vastly reduced number of, of customers because of distancing, vastly reduced number of customers because people are frightened of mixing? Then they're not going to be able to cope. They're going to close permanently, and this is going to you know there's the, there's the perform the, what little tone is in music venues, theatres, uh, all cinemas, all these places uh, where people come together. Those businesses are just not going to come back for a long, long time. So what I'm saying is that I think that we have to be much more practical about this and let the younger people go out and make a living. And us older folk uh, and vulnerable folk, uh, for whatever reason, uh, we have got to look after ourselves.
just about a bit, bit like a World War II mentality, really. I mean, you know, bombs were falling out of the sky. Members of my family were, were killed. The boy that I was named after, Anthony, boy of 10, was killed. Um, families had to do their best, you know, run into shelters. And when they heard the bombs coming over, it may sound overly dramatic, perhaps it is. But I think that we have to, you know, us older folks and vulnerable folk have to let the young ones get out there and earn a crust. And we have to uh, do our best, apply common sense. Um, I think we, sh you know, we should be allowed to take our own, make our own judgments about whether we hug our grandchildren, see our grandchildren. You know, there are people who perhaps can't, may have only a few more times that they can see their grandchildren. Um, are they to be denied that um, at the age of 87 or, you know, uh, and they probably haven't got too many years left anyway. It's, you know, it's quality, isn't it, rather than quantity of life. And so I, I, the, other, the other side of it is once people start lo losing their jobs, well, people have already started losing. But once people start running out of money, who knows what's going to happen? People, you know, people who are robbed of any hope. And our, our young have already been suffering from the, the direction of travel, even before COVID, the direction of travel of the economy. Because many, many young people now can't afford to buy a house and haven't been able to buy a house for long. You know, for a long, long time, they don't enjoy the same uh, privileges that, that we had in that sense. You know, and it is a privilege to be able to own your own home. Um, they've become gener generation rent, haven't they? Uh, very often, they've had to live at home much longer than they than you'd normally expect. They were already suffering uh, from changes you know, with artificial intelligence coming on stream, jobs being squeezed. Now this COVID um, piles on the pressure even more. When people are denied hope, it becomes a very dangerous situation, I think, because I think there's potential for society literally breaking down. Violence, looting, and in fact, in a way, and this may also sound a bit dramatic, but you know, you may have heard me complain bitterly about the fact that certain travel companies and airlines weren't refusing to give people refunds when they were required by law. These are upstanding companies. I mean, British Airways, for goodness sake, refusing when they do, you know, even my MP wrote and said, you know, you you owe this couple thousands and thousands of pounds, you've got to pay it back. It's a matter of law that you do. That's the law. And they still, they were, <laughs> they were deaf to that. They were, they were prepared to break the law with impunity. If a, an upstanding company like that, and there are many, many others, of course, who've been refusing um, refunds, is prepared to break the law, then imagine what ha what's going to happen when the public at large um, 
find themselves unable to meet their bills and looks at other people who are able to, um, you know, who are in, in a for, much more fortunate situation, what's going to happen when people can't feed their children? Well, I think it's, you know, I think it's very, very dangerous indeed. So what I'm saying is we need to, put the, the balance has shifted. Now it's, you know, we've tried the lockdown stuff, um, everyone's staying home, not going to work, and it hasn't worked. And uh, I think it's unlikely that it will work. I mean, you know, however long we lock ourselves down, someday we've got to come out and stick our heads out the rabbit hole. And people are, you know, it only takes one person to get infected and it starts spreading again. This virus is here to stay. We can't wait for a vaccine. We can't wait, it might be, a, might be at least a year, it might be two years before there's a vaccine. If, if at all, we can't just live in a glass bubble and not look after ourselves in economic terms, which translates into all kinds of other aspects of our well-being. We have to, we have to let our young get, and that means below 50, I think, they have to be able to go out there and, and, uh, and uh, start firing up the economy again. And, and I think we should, we should draw back from taking away people's liberties, not because I'm precious about liberty, but because people have got to be able to live as near a normal life as possible. Otherwise, the economic effects of this situation are going to be a far, far bigger crisis. They're going to lead to a far, far bigger crisis than the disease itself. So I'd, I'd be very, very happy to, um, to hear what you guys have to say about this. Um, those, are my, those are my thoughts. Uh, the other thing that I, uh, I, the other thing that worries me about this is that these um, men in suits that are wheeled out as the experts, the, and you can say, well, the government is following the science. I'm sick to death of hearing that because the men in suits that are wheeled out by the government, the two Ronnies, they, they have one view, but there are, there's an entirely different school of scientific opinion by equally learned, um, respected scientists that, that says, this is the wrong way to deal with it and argues strongly against these models that are being used to crash our economy. I mean, that's the fact of the matter. So what worries me, what I was coming to on that is what really worries me is that these edicts that are being issued are subject to almost zero parliamentary scrutiny. We live in a democracy and our biggest protection is the fact that things have to be decided in, in a debate format um, with all sides being represented properly. In the, and that's what our parliament, you know, our beautiful parliament is designed to achieve. Uh, and there's no deba debate over these things. And I know that there are a lot of people in the conservative government, not, well, in the government itself, 
the cabinet itself is now split uh, between those who want to shut it all down and not and you know, go back to lockdown, uh, those uh, uh, and like Matt Hancock, the the public, the health minister, who by the way contract as did Boris and the other guy Dominic, whatever his name is, um, who they contracted COVID, so that suggests very strongly that they weren't obeying the rules, that I mean, probably not distancing, probably not wearing masks, all the rules that they expect us to comply with. Um, there's that school of opinion, and there's the opposite school of opinion that people like the Chancellor, I think, are, are advocating, and others, that says that the, you know, the economic aspect is, is it's, it's too... It's, it's too important to, to, to just ignore. Um, and we, we should get back to work uh, per this more, more of the Swedish model. So, you know, the fact that there is no parliamentary um, uh, scrutiny of these decisions, I think, is a big, big um, drawback. So anyway, I'm coming to the end, and I want to, uh, I want to say this, uh, going back to the very beginning, what Tony and I were, what little Tony and I were going to discuss today was something entirely different, um, but something of concern, and that is is to do with the effects of social media, which is also something that has an effect on our whole system of government, our, our democratic system of government, and that effect is talked about and examined closely in a new Netflix. A documentary called The Social Dilemma, which Lil Tone mentioned to me and said, Dad, it's part of your re-education. <laughs> you should watch this. Uh, I watched it the next day um, and I was pretty much blown away with it. We're going to be talking about that when Lil Tone is better. So do, if you haven't already seen it, do watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix um, so that um, our discussion will, will make some sense to you, hopefully. Uh, if you have views, if you watch it before we get to record that episode, uh, which you will have, I assure you, you'll have views on it, <clears throat> please do send them to us. Please do get onto our uh, Facebook page, which you can get to by, uh, by the um, address re-educatingdad.com. That will take you to our Facebook page. Do uh, let us have your views because we will take account of um, those views as we discuss it. Uh, we love to hear from you. The views of our listeners are very, very important to us. We've had terrific feedback. Oh, by the way, we've had some feedback on the new music that was put in place at the beginning, the intro music and the outro music. Some people think the more cheerful, upbeat music is great. Other people prefer the previous music, which of course had Lil Tone's voice, uh, which, which made it, in my opinion, better anyway. But the reason why we changed that was because Lil Tone's been sick and it's, it's Lil Tone and her husband that take care of the intro and the outro and they've just been too busy with, with, uh, with all sorts of things, not least of which uh, Lil Tone's health challenge. So, uh, Appreciate those those views. We've just went with the practical approach of just um, 
putting whatever we could in place, which I don't think is too bad. Um, and uh, we will improve that uh, when we get when we can get around to it. So do watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Thank you very much for listening to me chunter on um, in, in the absence of ill tone. I much prefer to be doing this with her. I don't uh, feel right about doing it without, without her, but I didn't want it to go a week or possibly two weeks without um, you getting an episode. So uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, look forward to talking to you again very soon indeed. Bye for now.